Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. How's everybody doing? That's great. Uh, We're starting a new theme of giving hope. So it's not just hope. I keep, every now and again, I hear about it being referred to as hope. It's not hope. It's giving hope. It's active. And Pastor Sue particularly wanted that to be something that came across to all of us to understand that we are givers of hope. And I love the fact that Muko began with a giver of hope who was Betty Shepherd, who 15 years ago saw a need in Uganda and responded to it and she didn't have to carry it by herself very quickly other people saw the vision and joined with her and now we've got that you know 800 patients and more than 1100 babies safely delivered and you know I've worked in Uganda a few times and I remember hearing a story about a young woman who was in labor and came to the hospital not a Christian hospital just the hospital on the back of a motor bike because she wasn't able to progress in labour. I'd say the baby was transverse, but she came in and they said, unless you can give us money, we're not going to look after you. And so in labour, she got on the back of that motorbike again and disappeared into the night. I mean, I heard that story a lot of years ago. It still sits in me. And so it's really important for us to understand that these are real people with real babies And it's really important that we understand that the Lord calls us, the Lord who is the giver of hope, who brought hope to each one of us, asks that same thing of us, that we would represent him in the giving of hope. This morning as I was driving here, I just caught the end of a preach on on Premier Radio and I was really struck by it because I thought this encapsulates everything that I want to say. And it was about the fact that in 1930, when radio was pretty new, King George was going to give his very first message on radio, yearly message, to his people. And just before he was about to speak, the technician realised that the major wire was broken and there was no way to fix it up in time. And so the guy just grabbed both ends of the wire and held them for 15 minutes with 250 kilowatts of electricity going through his body so that people could hear the king. And so the thing that I want to say to each one of us is, you know, being a giver of hope isn't easy. It will cost you, probably cost you your comfort, might cost your reputation, it might cost some money, it might cost a whole lot of different things. But yet as we be people who choose to give hope, we're emulating Jesus Christ to the world and that's what we're here for. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help every one of us, I include myself in this, that we would grasp what it is to actively be a bringer of hope because you have imparted hope to us. We carry it in the depths of who we are. And Lord, that as we hold that, Lord, that we won't hold it for ourselves to comfort and keep us and make us safe, but Lord, that we will be people who actively bring it to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. This particular quote has been given in a whole lot of different ways by a whole lot of different people, but the way I'm quoting it today, one doesn't have to operate with great malice 
to do great harm. The absence of empathy and understanding are sufficient, are sufficient to do great harm. So I understand that it, I believe, I think you would believe it too, that it takes consistent choices to empathise with other people's troubles and their distresses enough to do what you can to help. But it's also really easy to turn away. I remember the kids in our church back in the day, they used to do a musical every year and one particular one, which I think might have been Ansylvania, said one particular line says, choices, choices, we all have to make them and no one else can do it for us. And I think that encapsulates what we are as Christians, that we're constantly faced with choices. Now, I'm going to tell you the story of a couple of people who were faced with choices that were actually life and death. And I'm not going to do the whole preach about the whole thing. So if you want to know more about the story and you don't know it, I'd advise you to read it. It's only 10 chapters and it's the book of Esther. Now, Esther and Mordecai are fantastic examples of a set of choices that were life and death and became life. Now, a lot of people have romanticised the life of Esther, right? But I want to tell you there was nothing romantic about Esther's life. She lost both her parents when she was a little girl and she was raised by a cousin who did a pretty good job of teaching her to be a decent, courageous human being, one who experienced tough and awful circumstances but still was able to live as a godly person. Now, there's no mention of God in the book of Esther, but God is clearly seen through all the different ways that coincidences happen for Mordecai and Esther as they keep facing challenges. And their coincidences, those choices they made, changed the future, not only for them, but also for the Jews in Persia. And it's we all know choices have a way of doing that. Our choices change our future. So Esther was trafficked into the king's palace, along with hundreds of other victims from all over the nation. It was not a beauty contest. Whatever you've heard from preachers at any time, this was not a beauty contest. It wasn't about, and what's your greatest desire? World peace, if anybody's ever seen Miss Congeniality. It wasn't like that. Nothing about that was the case. Think of all these teenage girls taken from their mums and their dads and their siblings and their homes like the children of the stolen generation which happened in Australia not that long ago and they're bundled together into a harem and they know they've got one chance for the king to choose them after which they may never see him or any man ever again. Successful or not, from now on, they will never be able to leave the palace to go shopping or see their mum or get married or have jokes with their husbands. The only thing that will happen for them is that they will hang around in the harem waiting in the hope that one day the king might call them. Now, the king was an impulsive unreliable, brutal man who was easily led, mainly because he didn't care about anything except himself. So therefore, the the last opinion to come to him was kind of the best. You know, comfort takes away our ability 
to feel empathy and to identify with other people's pain. So that book is a fascinating read. It's only 10 chapters and it's really worthwhile reading. But the story takes place between the chapters, Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. So it's around the same time as the Jews had been allowed to leave captivity and go back to broken down Jerusalem if they wanted to. So for whatever reason, Mordecai and Esther didn't choose to go. And so we're going to take up the story from the time that Esther is abducted and taken to the palace. Now, Esther and Mordecai are powerless against the structure of their society, but somehow They took the circumstances that life dealt them and they found ways to live even in exile according to God's plan. Their great-grandparents had been taken to Persia as captives. Now Esther developed teachability. She worked with um, Mordecai, she learned wisdom and that enabled her to engage with the, the, the head eunuch when she went into the harem and she was able to listen to him and she was able to take his advice. So when the time came for her to spend the night with the king, the only thing she took with her was what that eunuch had told her to take. Now I would love to know what he said. What on earth was it he said about all those hundreds of girls that made the king fall in love with a teenager that he'd only just met? Overnight, he falls in love with her. If that doesn't show the favour of God at work in her life, I don't know what does. Esther chapter 2 verse 15 says, When the time came for Esther... To go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who knew her, which means she was a really nice person. She didn't win this on beauty. She won it on something else. And who knows, really, but it was to do with who she was and what God was doing in her. Now, she'd had 12 months of preparation before her night with the king, and the first six months of those were with myrrh. And myrrh is known as a a product that deals with death. Jesus was anointed with myrrh. When, When people died, they were anointed with myrrh. When myrrh is a resin and when you crush it, it releases this amazing aroma. There are times when we're crushed, really crushed, when things have been really, really tough for us. And the only way that we've been able to get through is that the Holy Spirit has helped us, has been at work in us, has changed us, has given us grace and courage instead of bitterness and fear. And when that happens... People smell the aroma of Jesus on our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 14 speaks about that. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But thanks be unto God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to Christ To God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now Esther became queen and five years passed during which she settled into the requirements of the job and also the rhythm of a reasonably comfortable lifestyle. There were things she didn't like about it, same as with all of us in our lives, but in all she's secure, she's content with her life, which is not bad for a trafficked 
orphan who is a member of a marginalised and captive people, although Mordecai had warned her not to let anybody know that she was a Jew. Her life wasn't how she'd envisaged it, but she worked with what she had, and what she had was pretty good. Had Esther allowed herself the bitterness and the cir- of her circumstances to develop resentment and self-pity in her heart, she would never have become queen because bitterness changes who we were meant to be. It distorts the good ways that God plans to use each of us. Her life was built on trust in God, the God of her people, and that's what enabled her to stay wholesome even though her life didn't go the way that she would have chosen. And then suddenly, as can happen when life is pretty good, catastrophe struck. Now, the overview of the story is that Mordecai used to hang around the palace every day and he would send messages backwards and forwards to Esther because he couldn't see her. And one day he heard about a plot being used to kill the king. And so he let them know and the two servants who were going to kill the king were executed. But nobody did anything about that. Nobody said Mordecai was a great guy because of that. And I think that happens to all of us. There are times when we do something that's really good and maybe it costs us a lot and then nobody says even says thank you. Nobody even notices or somebody else gets the credit. But I just want to say it's important for each one of us to Firstly, understand that God knows, God did see, regardless of who else didn't see. But secondly, that timing is everything. And so I won't even talk about the end of that story because you can read it if you don't know it. But right after that, the king takes, makes a new prime minister and his name is Haman. And Haman means tumult. And Haman's leadership in Persia caused tremendous tumult and particularly for the Jews. And so Esther chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 talks about a time when Haman used to go in and out of the palace and he expected everybody to bow down to him. But Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And people told Haman that and he was absolutely livid and he found out that Mordecai was a Jew and so it wasn't going to be enough for him just to kill Mordecai. He decided he was going to annihilate the entire Jewish population, which is, you know, pretty drastic. So the king didn't even know. So the Bible says the next the next scripture, Aziz, uh, sorry, Esther Chapter 3, verse 13, letters were sent by runners to all the king's provinces stating that they should destroy, kill and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children on this particular day. And so the messages, it says at the end there, the messages scurried forth with the king's order and the edict was issued in Susa, the citadel. Now this is the thing that is incredibly relevant about leadership and about empathy or lack of it. While all that was happening and Susa and the whole the whole country were in absolute turmoil and tumult and they had they were they had they tore their clothes and they had sackcloth and ashes the bible says there the king and haman sat down to drink while the city of susa was in an uproar now the jewish people were absolutely distraught but the king's having a beer with his mate and it doesn't matter to him and esther She's up there in an ivory tower. 
And she doesn't even know anything about it. And Mordecai's sitting outside the gate and he's got sackcloth and ashes on and he's wailing. And she, get, she hears about that from her servants and so she sends out some clothes. But he's like, no, I don't want the clothes. And then he tells the servant what's happening. And he says to the servant, tell Esther she has to go to the king and, and plead on our behalf. Well, when Esther hears that, she's completely shocked. She, she doesn't know what to say. It says, chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Esther replied to the eunuch, all the servants of the king and the people of the king's province know that there is only one law applicable to any man or woman who comes uninvited to the king's court. That person would be put to death unless the king extends to him his golden scepter, permitting him to be spared. Now, I have not been invited to the king for some 30 days. Is the king getting bored with her? You know, what is that? She knows she can't go to the king. She knows what happened to the last queen. Maybe he's getting bored with her. He's not bothered to see her for a month. And this is a woman who overcame great odds to find a place of peace and comfort. And now she's being presented with this absolutely terrible, appalling prospect of giving it all up to lay her life down for her people. She knows she might die by the hand of a capricious, vicious king who only cares about wealth and power and position. Do you know, often the greatest inhibitors to making a difference, to being a bringer of hope that is ours to share, is contentment, is luxury, is well-being and security, fear of losing our ease and stepping into the unknown as a giver of hope. Stepping out, not knowing where it's going to take us. Not know, She didn't know the end of the story when she made a decision to step out. But I believe that fear of losing our ease and stepping out into the unknown as a giver of hope is what stops far more healings and breakthroughs and freedom to captives and restoration than any other thing. The major hindrance to giving hope generally comes from within ourselves, not from our circumstances. Esther chapter 4 verse 12, Esther sends a message to Mordecai saying, I I can't do that. And Mordecai says, don't imagine that because you're part of the king's household, you will be the one Jew who escapes. If you keep quiet at this time, liberation and protection for the Jews will appear from another source, while you and your father's household, which is him, will perish. It may very well be that you have achieved royal status for such a time as this. All those coincidences that took Esther right into the very heart of the of the kingdom were all for this. And Esther hears that. It's a prophetic word that Mordecai has spoken into her comfort and into her well-being and into her security. And he's saying, shake it off and get up and do something. 
And so she sends this reply, go and assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast on my behalf. Don't even drink water. No food, no water for three days. And then she says, afterwards I will go to the king, even though it violates the law. And this last sentence, honestly, it just gives me goosebumps and thrills me to my very soul. And if I perish, I perish. If it means I die, so be it. She knows, she heard the thing that came to her to understand you've got to put your life on the line sometimes for things that matter. And so she knows that making a stand for the good of a marginalised people might get her killed. But the thing about it is some things are worth dying for, even still today. And so it took Mordecai to speak prophetically into her life to make a situation clear that just because she's comfortable now and no one knows she's a Jew doesn't mean that's going to last. In fact, Mordecai makes it clear that God has a plan to save this ragtag group of marginalised people and if she's not willing to get out of her security and do it, God will get somebody else because God doesn't rely on just one plan. All the favour she's received over all these years is for this time, this season for this challenge. He makes it clear that the favour that she lives in, the job that she has, the role that she has, the people she knows, the influence she has, all of that, she has that favour so she can save her people. Just like Joseph did when he, centuries before, went through a deep time of captivity in order to come to a place of favour where he could save his people. So Esther accepts the prophetic assignment and God gives her a unique strategy that will turn the tables on the enemy because God's plan is absolutely not interested in our comfort, our ease and our security. Lovely though it is, it will not save us when the seasons change. Comfort and security are incredibly seductive, incredibly seductive, far more than we realise. And living in an ivory tower can keep us from the horrors that other people are facing, but it won't excuse us before God. And I grieve so much whenever I hear Christians say, I don't listen to the news, it's all bad news, I don't want to hear that. I'm like, yep, well, that's the ivory tower. Because all over Australia and all over the world, terrible things are happening to people who are not like us or may be like us, but we don't know because we're safe in our ivory tower and we don't want to listen to anything that could be, could be disturbing of that. And that's not what God called the body of Christ to and it's not what he called the Christian to either. And so listen to those things. Listen to SBS. Listen to what's happening. Listen to Al Jazeera. Listen to other news other than your, you know, this little, this little one that just tells us what happens around here and something in America. Listen to something larger than that. And when you listen, if you can't do anything else, we can pray. And if we pray, maybe God might even give us a strategy. You never know. I, I've preached in Muslim countries sometimes. And I've heard people be so upset about the sound of the M-man calling everybody to prayer. But the first time I was there and I heard that sound and I thought, what? I heard the Lord say it's called to prayer. Bev, pray. It's never bothered me since because it's a call to prayer. And so it doesn't matter what, you know, doesn't matter whether the people 
that speak into my life are different from me to shake my world. It matters that I can hear that God is calling me to something different. So don't just allow yourself to care about your own people group. Empathy needs to stretch across all borders and all people's group. Jesus' empathy with people was so great that he left the matchless beauty of his home and made a journey through a birth canal into a world of squalor and dirt and cruelty and violence and hostility so that he could empathise with people who, although they were created in his image, were actually nothing like him at all. And in the end, as the giver of hope to us, he laid his life down so that we would have that hope passed on to us, not so we could hold it and be comfortable and safe and say, I'm going to live happily ever after and then I'm going to heaven. No, so that we could actively become givers of hope, bringers of hope, that we would take the hope that was put in our own hearts and that we would give it on from there. You know, we don't have to leave hope to do that, but we do have to care. And we do have to care about people outside our context. Uh, Matthew 25 verse 37 says, And the righteous will answer him. Lord, this, this is, for me, this is an incredibly powerful and convicting scripture. I always find this even hard to read. When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them just as you did it for one of the very, very least of these brothers and sisters of mine. He doesn't say of yours. He says of mine because they're made in the image of God. So whatever you think about the people that you're reaching out to, get rid of the judgment because he's a, those people are brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, just as you did it for one of the very least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. Wow. Stepping into the unknown to become a giver is fraught with uncertainty and maybe anxiety. We don't want to live in uncertainty. It's filled with doubt and we don't want to live in doubt. It's invaded by the taunts of the enemy. Who do you think you are? What difference do you think you can make? It's loaded with the very real possibility of failure and loss of relationship. I've been called a Marxist. I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) you know, just because I'm trying to do what Jesus did and care about people outside, and you have too, you've lost. People have spoken against you because of maybe you've brought hope to somebody that somebody doesn't approve of. Haman had been elevated by the king to a top position and so had Esther and Mordecai. But what people do with their authority will always show their character far more clearly than anything else. Will they use their role to help other people or to promote themselves? Haman's promotion brought out the very worst in him. And in the end, his choices ultimately brought about his own death. And you'll have to read about that because it's a really cool story. But pressure is a two-sided coin and it causes us to either lean on the Lord to grow stronger under its weight or grow weaker as we invent ways to deal with it ourselves. Pressure is the catalyst for change. Pressure is as I've looked to the Lord, has changed me more, made me more, I can live with myself more 
because of the pressures that came on my life and how the Lord helped me deal with them. Esther was afraid, which is absolutely reasonable because the potential for death penalty was very real. And it took courage and faith and empathy for her to take that massive step into the possibility of massive failure of death. But, you know, being a Christian requires courage and faith. And we get repeated opportunities to practice getting courage and faith. Once Esther decided to do what God called her to do, he gave her a strategy. Didn't give her the strategy till she decided she was going to do it. And then it was one step at a time. Esther and Mordecai prevailed. Haman was killed by the means he'd intended to kill Mordecai. But more than that, the Jewish, the Persians were saved. Because God always has a plan and he wants to use us. But the thing that's really amazing is he has no compunction in using someone else if we say no. And that frightens me too because when I go to heaven, I want to go empty. I want to go with everything that was required of me or asked of me or assigned to me has been done. I don't want to go with bits left over because God had to get somebody else to do it. God cares for the marginalised and the rejected and he wants us to care too. But the temptation of being comfortable, especially after times of insecurity, is very strong. When the church becomes an ivory tower, a place where we can retreat to stay untroubled by the pain of the world, it's very easy to be completely ignorant of other people's suffering. We need the voices of those who stir us to be uncomfortable. Mordecai spoke clearly and prophetically. And my understanding of prophecy is it isn't about what you had for dinner last night it's, or tonight even. It's about stirring us toward others like Jesus lived toward others. So the Bible focuses intently on the marginalised and the hopeless, not the content and the comfortable. And Esther chose to respond. She might have turned away from that awareness and pulled the blankets tighter around her, but that ignorant complacency would have completely destroyed her. It is crucial to the call on the life of the church and each one of us that we don't do that. It's absolutely easy to ignore the marginalised, be they Indigenous, impoverished, people with different lifestyles, refugees, people with different educational opportunities or with disabilities because we're comfortable and so we don't have to get involved over there. And yet God says, I'm going to use someone. Could be you. But each of us has got to agree. Courage rises out of hope. Hope transmits courage. Like that guy who held on to the two ends of the wires so people could hear the message of the king. That's what we're called to. Giving hope is going to cost. Honestly, it will. But those who become givers of hope, givers of the hope that we have been given, emulate the great one who gave us this great hope as an anchor for our souls. Father, in the name of Jesus, we... Every one of us knows, Lord God, we fail miserably at this. And yet, Lord, we're willing, and we're willing for you to make us willing. And we're willing for you to take us on, and we're willing for you to send 
voices that are uncomfortable and difficult to listen to, voices that we want to reject. Lord, we pray that you will send those voices into our little comfortable lives. And Lord, that you will cause us to become bringers of hope and conduits through which the message of the King, Jesus Christ, can be brought to a world that is in so much pain and brokenness right now. Holy Spirit, pour out on us as members of the granary that we would be a people who would be willing to embrace the discomfort and even the fear, Lord, so that we would be givers of hope to a world that doesn't have any hope except you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.